Blood flows throughout your entire body, carrying nutrients to all of your cells and taking away the waste products that they produce. Blood is made up of a fluid that carries several different kinds of cells. The three types that we will talk about are red blood cells, white blood cells, and special white blood cell fragments called platelets. Red blood cells carry oxygen to your organs and take carbon dioxide away from them. White blood cells help your body fight infection from bacteria and viruses. Platelets help to seal off a blood vessel when it has been cut or torn and act like your own natural bandage. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleans us from all sin. 1 John 1 7. You're listening to Canary Cry Radio. Now here are your hosts, Basil and Gauntz. Hey everyone, welcome to Canary Cry Radio. My name is Basil. And I'm Gons, and we're back. And we're excited to bring you an episode about blood. 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 Lots of things about blood. <laughs> yes, this is the blood episode. Uh, um. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's the blood episode. Right. We're, t- we're going to talk about blood, episode 49. 49. 49. Yeah. Dang. And we, we, got a, we got some stuff to talk about, but a couple updates, and then we'll read some emails, and then we'll get into the blood. But uh, first off, I do want to mention that I'm working diligently on Age of Deceit 2, yep. and uh, I've decided to name the film Alchemy, or the subtitle, I guess, Alchemy and the Rise of the Beast Image. And so I'm reading a lot of uh, alchemical texts. Of, uh, yeah, you are. Yeah. I'm, I'm tired about hearing about it. Well, you know, that's too bad because uh, <laughs> I'm making a movie about it. So you're going to be hearing more about it. And, uh, you know, it actually did help a little bit in um, putting together this blood episode. So hopefully right. there's some, you know, some Seems reference there. Right. Okay. So you're you're learning by teaching. Yeah, yeah. And some of it's Very heavy. Good. Some of it's heavy and some of it's not that much fun to read sometimes, but Yeah, I know. could imagine some of that would be a little bit um scary just to put it in simple English. Yeah, scary, weird, um yeah. you know, bizarre at times, but um right. you know. Yeah. All right, well sounds good. We're all looking forward to that. Also, um just to mention it, me and Gons are also working on a book uh, for everyone. And this is just a little teaser, so keep listening, and we'll talk about it a little bit more in the future. Uh, have we ever mentioned that before? I can't I even remember think if we, we have. have. We, we may have, may have you know, thought out loud about it, but I, I think we're, we're in uh, a season of really trying to get some stuff out there and and we'll get to why in a few minutes, but uh, we're also, you know, we were supposed to interview Carl Tykrib, which we've had on before, but we wanted to have him back on because he was at the recent global futures, 2045 conference that was held in New York. And we actually covered, uh, New York. Yeah. We actually covered, so not Moscow this time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, last year it was in Moscow, Russia. And we covered, we, I think we did a whole episode on it and, yeah, we did. and there were tons of quotes about new age and, 
a leader that's going to arrive and all sorts of, you know, as a, as a Christian listening to it and reading some of that stuff, it was like, Oh my gosh, what are they talking about? Um, right. So, but Carl was there. And so we wanted to get in, uh, get some, you know, insight from the ground from Carl, but he had to reschedule. And so hopefully uh, the next episode will have Carl on and he can talk about what he saw and uh, some of the things that he experienced while he was there. So, right. Just so everybody knows, the Global Future 2045 conference is the transhumanist um, conference that they uh, get to get together. And um, I think they do a lot of human pyramids and a lot of cheers about uh, becoming um, invincible. Well, human so, robot pyramids, not, not just human pyramids. Right. Yeah, well, I think they robots. played the guessing game. Is this human or robot? You know, <laughs> they're building the... Okay. Maybe there's like a, like, would you date this robot game show type thing? <laughs> Anyways, yeah, okay. moving on. Moving we got on. some emails. You've got mail. We, um, we get a lot of emails from you guys, and they really are very encouraging. nice to hear. They're inc- that's the word, encouraging. Because, you know, we do this, and we just kind of put it out there into the universe. And it's nice to know that people are listening. And not only listening, but not wanting to physically hurt us because of it. <laughs> so thank you for that. And we'll just read a couple of them here. Um, this one is from a, a fellow named Dan. Hi, Dan, if you're out there. Uh, he says, you guys are great. I love your shows. I've been listening from the beginning. And we're at episode 49 now, so that's a lot of shows. I mean, you got to be thinking at least an hour per show on average. So Probably more than that. Yeah, I mean, we've got definitely some two-hour shows. Um, so, you know, he's putting in some time here. That's a, I've been that's listening a lot from us. the beginning. That's almost too much. <laughs> I've been listening from the beginning, and I'm nearly done with the archives. When are you guys coming back on? We miss you. God bless you both, and have a great day. Well, thank you, Dan, and we are here. We're coming back on right now. You're listening to us. So um, I really appreciate your words of encouragement, and... Uh, you got one over there, Gons? Yeah, this one's from Monty. Uh, nice and short and sweet. What's up, Monty? Monty says, love you guys, love the program and website. Keep it rolling. Keep it rolling. You know, we're trying really hard to keep it rolling. I had a cat named Monty. Really? Um, yeah. He was the best cat in the world. So I miss you, Monty, out there. I don't know if that's you, cat, emailing us. <laughs> cat. but. <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, Monty um, says Jan. meow sorry go ahead yes oh no yeah <laughs> <laughs> sincerely meow Monty <laughs> alright this one's from Jan and Jan says I'm 66 years old but a young 66 old lady because Yeshua Jesus helps you to keep your sense of humor and in this world you had better have one yeah Thank you. Jan really gets it. She continues, I really enjoy you both and most of your guests. I have most of your guests' books, and I really wish the church would wake up because we can use all the help we can get. I tell people about your show, so I do advertise. Thank you. Well, thank you, Jan, and your check's in the mail for all your (laughs) advertising. (laughs) No, but that's awesome. 66 years young. God bless you. Sense of humor. I want to meet Jan someday. Yeah. So, uh, and she buys our guests books, which is awesome because Jan, if you weren't getting their books, 
they would have no reason to come on here and talk with us. <laughs> so you're really helping us out in so many ways, Jan. I wish I could give you a high five over the internet. So send me an email about that and we'll figure it out. Well, you know, it's cool that um, we reach people like Jan, but you know, the, this email from Jesse also really just, you know, warms my heart. I don't know about you, Basil, but uh, definitely for me, it's, it's uh, it was, it was a really cool email. And Jesse says this, he said, Hey guys, my name is Jesse and I've been listening to your podcasts for a while now. And I want to start off by saying you guys basically saved my life. I just turned 18 and for the past two years after I heard about the Illuminati, I've been looking to the new age crap for answers to my questions and it was drawing me deeper and deeper into confusion and depression. But let me tell you, once I found your website, it changed my view on everything. I was raised Catholic, but I never had a good understanding of my religion and I always thought church was boring and a waste of my time. It wasn't until I started listening to you guys that it all became clear to me. Nothing is more important to me now than my religion and it gives me great pleasure to say that I can't see myself doing anything else except for becoming a preacher of some sort. I feel like I was put on this earth for that reason and that reason alone. And wow. uh, yeah, he goes on here and says some more stuff, but hey, Jesse, that is so awesome and praise God because- Amen, uh, brother. We're just really excited that, you know, that's, that's really cool, man. This is why we do this. Right. Yeah, you know, sometimes me and Gons have some lowly conversations about, uh, you know, continuing on with the project Canary Cry Radio, and but it's emails like this that really, sh you know, speak to us, and and it's really the reason why we're doing this. And whenever we have a question, you know, and we're asking God if this is really what we should be doing, and if we're going the in the right direction, and you know, have we just wasted year and a half or so that we've been doing this um you know praise god praise god that this is this is the sort of thing that we get to hear and thanks for sharing man because you really blessed me and i know you blessed gons with your email so yeah definitely um, made my day yeah absolutely made my day so, again reading it just now so <laughs> yeah exactly so keep listening and everybody else keep listening out there and this brings us to another sort of conversation that me and Gons are here to just have real quick before we get into our blood episode. And that is that both me and Gons have come to um, a juncture in our lives that we're having to make some decisions, kind of like a, a crossroads, if you will. And, uh, you know, having to do with a lot of things, um, with career, with our personal lives and you know, location on this earth geographically <laughs> and things <laughs> like that. And we're, we're really um, having to come to a point to make some decisions about the future of Canary Cry Radio. And we wanted to talk to you guys about this in, um, you know, very, a very open and transparent way. So first off, we want to say thank you to everyone who has supported Canary Cry Radio financially and through your prayers thus far, it's really meant a lot to us. Um, but to be more specific with our current situation, basically for me, my situation here is that some of the opportunities that, that I had with my occupation, which some of you guys, if you've gone through the archive or if you've been with us from the beginning, uh, you know what my occupation is, but um, those opportunities have been kind of pulled out from under me 
uh, very abruptly. And um, that's all I kind of want to say about that. But uh, it has caused uh, me personally and ironically, you know, in a similar time frame with Basil's situation um, to sort of reflect and, and pray about what, what are we supposed to do? You know, where are we supposed to go? And me personally, and Basil agrees with that, you know, we had this conversation prior to recording this, but we both feel that we are called to do this, to do Canary Cry Radio. And we really want to commit to putting out, you know, podcasts for free every week almost. You know, we want to do it every week. We know we haven't been on that, but um, to put out an episode every week. But we want to, we want to make this whole thing grow. And, you know, people like the, the email we just read from Jesse that's why we do this. And we want to get people saved and we want to inform people. Uh, and we, we want to do it not just through podcasts, but we want to be able to do, you know, we, Basil and I have like this grand vision, right? We have like, you know, we've talked about doing like live conferences. We mentioned the book. We want to do videos and make documentaries. And we, we just want to create this community. So we want to find a way that we can make Canary Cry Radio the main focus of our vocation and our lives. And what this comes down to is uh, financial stability and being able to fully focus on the podcast and all of our dreams that we have for what I like to call Canary Cry 2.0. We really want to do it more of a grassroots, fully listener supported type of structure. Um, you know, we'll need to pray about that. So what we want to present to you guys is uh, to be fully transparent about our situation and to give you guys the opportunity to pray and seek the Lord and, and really consider becoming a sponsor for Canary Cry Radio and to help us financially fund all the dreams and big ideas that we have. So what we're going to do to open this up at the very beginning here uh, is we're going to provide some monthly sponsorship packages. And so... Uh, if you guys would just pray and think about how Canary Cry Radio has touched you, has touched your lives, have touched the people you know, um, what it's done for your worldview, and uh, you know, really seek the Lord and see how you would be able to um, support Canary Cry Radio financially. Uh, under the support tab, we're going to be putting some monthly options if you'd like to do something like that, or if you are able to give a one-time gift, that would be awesome as well. And we really appreciate your guys' listener loyalty, and we love talking with you guys and reading your emails. And uh, we're really encouraged by all the feedback that we get from you guys. Um, so I encourage everyone listening right now to uh, pray about it and consider what Canary Cry Radio means to you and how it impacts your life and your worldview. And hopefully that we can all come together and uh, keep this thing rolling. Or not, you know, or you can, or, uh, or we can just, uh, <laughs> I mean, the podcast will be for free anyway. So, you or, know, if you guys are, we'll just, if you guys are just like, no, nah, man, free stuff is cool, which free stuff is one, cool. You know, once a month is way, way too much. Too much yeah. Show. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't want to hear any more of this. Yeah. Um, well, that's cool too. I mean, I guess that's just, well, I'm sick of hearing real. you talk about this. So let's, let's go on to, uh, some some of the actual stuff. <laughs> yeah, maybe if these guys stop talking about money, 
and talked about blood like they told us they were going to. Oh, that's a good topic. Money? Can you a, a show about money? Ooh. We should do a show that's about money. A, that's a good one. Okay. You could almost mix that with the show about blood. I know. We can be such hypocrites on that show about money, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I suppose this is a good time to move into the show, our super awesome, exciting show that will touch everyone's lives, <laughs> change the way that they think about the world and God, and open their eyes to the evils that they can now avoid and fight against, because we fight not against flesh and blood, but against um, principalities, powers, yes, all that stuff. All right. <laughs> Canary Cry Radio Episode 049 Blood That's a spooky, spooky dungeon blood dripping I got a lot of emails about my, my talent You did? Uh, no, my mom liked it though well, That's good, that's, that's all that really <laughs> matters, right? I mean yeah, she's my biggest fan. As long as Hi, Mom. <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, it sounds a lot like uh, a water dripping, but uh, you had, yeah. you had mentioned that's uh, blood dripping, which is it's yeah, kinda, it's kind of creepy, well, I guess. Well, blood and water have a lot in common, and we will learn that later. Um, but let's start out with a question that almost nobody out there can answer. I know that I couldn't answer it until I did some serious research. Uh, I, yeah, you're right. I had to actually ask my mom about this. And uh, yeah. So, okay. So we're going to start here because blood. Yeah, yeah, I know. It, Mother's Day was like, anyway. Blood is a, a pretty big topic and there's a lot to cover. And we're not going to be able to get to everything. And, you know, same with the water episode and the number episode. We got got emails from you guys like, oh, you forgot about this and that, and I'm sure we'll forget about some stuff here too. But we're going to start with, Basil, what's your blood type? Blood type. Like I said, I had no idea. But my blood type, I can now say, is AB positive. AB positive. Interesting. Okay, so I'm yeah. type O. Okay, so o. according to this chart that uh, we found at lifeblood.org. Um, <laughs> Let's post the chart. We got to have a forum topic for this. Okay. First, tell us about it first. Okay. So, so basically, basically, um, you know, let me just read this little sentence here. Uh, who's your type? Okay. Asian cultures believe that a person's blood type is related to their personality characteristics. We're not sure about that, but it's fun to know who shares your blood type. And so there's a chart that has a, a list of, names of people that that share different blood types and of course the different blood types are a positive negative which is one group uh, b a b and o so basil you said you were a b i'm a b positive all right so, so according to this list according to this irrefutably correct list <laughs> um uh, it's funny. They have a little disclaimer that, that I know. they don't actually I know this too. is true, but okay. So I share blood types with some magnificent people such as Thomas Edison. Oh, what? Wow. Yeah. There you go. That makes Who sense. Saw that you know? coming? I think, I think um, Tesla would have been a better option, but Edison's good well, too. Right. I know. I would like to know Tesla's blood type. Maybe 
No, I don't even want to go there. No. Anyways, some other people I share blood type with Marilyn Monroe. What's up, Marilyn? Give me a call. Um, <laughs> Mick Jagger. Okay. All right. Uh, John F. Kennedy. The world is very different now. For man holds in his mortal hands the power to abolish all forms of human poverty and all... Okay. Jackie Chan. All right. Boom. There you go. You got your martial arts there. Where is he? I don't know. He killed a detective today. Where is he? Who got killed, man? Connor. Who died, Lee? You. Detective you? Not you, you. Who? You. Who? Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Don't nobody understand the words. Yeah, and, uh, you know, of course... President Barack Obama. Oh, good. The Antichrist. That's, that's yes. always good. <laughs> that's always good. Yes. You know? the or, 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 uh, or, you know, the clone of Akhenaten, as some people believe Barack Obama to <laughs> yeah, be. One yeah, one of those guys. That, you know, who knows? That's good. Well, uh, I have... He's been, to, he's been to Mars, so... Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay, there you go. So you've been to Mars, according to uh, yeah. this list here. Well, I mean, I have some uh, interesting people as well. I have... Um, Oh, who should I start with here? I have Elvis Presley, which is great, you know. Yeah. Uh, Paul Newman. Ah, look at them buzzards. Queen Elizabeth II. My favorite Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> favorite Queen Elizabeth. Gerald Ford. Don't subscribe to any partisan platform. I am indebted to no man. Um, John Lennon. There you go. You know, uh, right. imagine no religion, right? Yeah. And all the people. Yeah, exactly. You know, no, uh, no heaven or hell. Great. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you got Ronald Reagan. This fellow they've nominated claims he's the new Thomas Jefferson. Well, let me tell you something. I knew Thomas Jefferson. Okay. And uh, to round off this list, I'm going to name somebody. You, most people probably have no idea who this is. Alonzo Mourning. <laughs> you know, you know who he Why is? is he on that the same list? I, I have no idea. Alonzo Mourning, for and, those and of you Presley. who don't know, he's a, he's an NBA basketball player um, who won a championship with the Miami Heat a few years ago. Here comes Joe, looking for fifty. He's got it. Uh, he's seven feet tall, so maybe you know, maybe I'll so grow you, to be seven so feet. You guys don't have that in common. Well, I was just—I was hoping I, I might grow a little bit, you know, <laughs> the blood type O. Um, yeah. But okay, let's let's move on. For those of you who uh, who may have the blood type A, um, ooh, ooh, that's <laughs> I'm bad. Sorry. Hey, you know what? Let's before we get to A because that's a downer. Let's do B. <laughs> okay, if you have blood type B. 
You have the same blood type as Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, there you go. When you got nothing, you got nothing to lose. There you go, Leo. Jack Nicholson. The Shining. All right. <laughs> yep. Luciano Pavarotti. So you can, okay. you can, you can sing opera. Yeah. Tom Selleck. All right. So you, so you can grow a gnarly stash. Now, you haven't been here in nine years, but I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think your mustache has been here a couple of times, right? <laughs> Didn't we? You are a stash brothers with Tom Selleck. Vince Young. Who's a Mia Farrow. Player. And Paul McCartney. Yeah, that's pretty good. You got another little it's not a bad list. In there. All right. Type A people, according to this list. I mean, there's a couple highlights, but other than that, man. Yeah. That's too well, bad, according well, to... The, the list starts off with none other than Mr. Uh, uh, George Herbert Walker Bush. We have before us the opportunity to forge for ourselves and for future generations a new world order, a world where the rule of law, not the law of the jungle, governs the conduct of nations. When we are successful, and we will be, we have a real chance at this new world order... <laughs> In order so, uh, there you go. Yeah, New World Order this, guy. Which is second on the list, uh, Ms. Britney Spears. Baby, can't you see? I'm calling a like you. There you go. Congratulations. You're just part of a wonderful bloodline here. Um, Alan Alda. I don't know who that is. I don't know who that is either. And some of you guys that know are probably yelling at us because yeah. I just saw so, that. Sorry, was... sorry, Alan, all the fans. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm too young, too old. I don't know your young people, <laughs> celebrities. Um, Lyndon Johnson. Okay. All Not right. bad. Not bad. Richard Nixon. kind of examination because people have got to know whether or not their president is a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I've earned everything. There, yep. There's Dick Nixon um, and Jet Li. Oh, uh, Jet Li. There you go. That's, there you that's go. Decent. He's got some, there's some uh, physical martial arts. I can lift up arts. motorcycles with, with one hand. Right. He can. I've seen it. That's, that's like my image. Okay. So there's your list. Yeah. We'll, we'll post that. Everybody, get get your blood type. Call your mom. <laughs> figure <laughs> call, out what it is. Moms. And then check it hey, out. Hey, but we're not done with this uh, listing because, you know, in Japan, like we mentioned, you know, they, they assign blood types to personality, right? And this is, again, this is just a little fun thing that we're doing here. We, there's no real... Because Gans is Japanese. Just because I'm Japanese, I, I, I have to do this. And I fully believe in this list uh, given by this, uh, <laughs> this little chart here. Um, yeah. But, okay, so according to this chart here, type A people are the farmers, which is good. Type B yeah. are the hunters, Type AB, that's you, Basil. Boom. The humanist. Oh boy. Which, <laughs> all right. And type and type O. Yeah, that's, which is that's me. That's me. He is the warrior. Yeah. Yeah. Warrior gods. Yeah, that's pretty much uh, pretty accurate describing yeah. what I'm all about. Really give that warrior vibe. Yeah. And so if you're the farmer, if you're type A, a farmer, you are serious, calm, composed, level-headed, and trustworthy. Type B, the hunter, curious, excitable, cheerful, bright, enthusiastic, unpredictable, and independent. Type AB, the humanist, if you're like me, unpredictable, distant, careful, considerate, efficient, and sensitive. 
you're basically a robot. <laughs> Type O. <laughs> the warrior, Gons, this is you, man. Outgoing, expressive, clumsy, flexible, idealistic, natural leaders, carefree, and generous. All right. I am actually pretty clumsy sometimes. You are. Yeah, I can, and- I can ask my wife. It's bad sometimes. Like but walk you up the s- stairs and... You're also so generous. I, I am. That's, she would say that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then she would yell at me for being too carefree. So, okay. Right. Exactly. Um, but I, I'd be interested. Everybody, you know, I'd like to hear some forum about that. See. Uh, yeah. Someone should start a forum thread. Um, and we'll, maybe, uh, maybe we'll start it. Are we able to do that? I'm not even sure. <laughs> I'm sure How does we the can internet figure it work? out. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> okay so so moving on there's some fun stuff there everybody check it out and uh guns i think you have some quick facts about quick blood facts. just, just kind of get the just the snapshot of what blood actually is yeah so um blood makes up about seven percent of the weight of the human body so, which is surprisingly low yeah it is kind of low right so when you get on the scale and you know don't get your blood drawn to lose weight um I don't know what that Please, was all don't about. Do that. There's so many other reasons. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, um, and blood, it's obviously a very important part of our human bodies. It carries these things to the body tissues, uh, nourishment, electrolytes, hormones, vitamins, antibodies, heat, and oxygen. And, and drugs. And drugs. That's right. That, yeah. that wasn't on the list, but I can, I'm pretty sure that's also what it is. Well, does. yeah. And, and you kind of think about, you know, that phrase that uh, you are what you eat, you know, and it kind of makes sense, oh, right? Yeah. Because it sort of flows in your blood. And also blood, you know, helps carry away waste matter and carbon dioxide out of the body tissues. Yeah. So Here, that's good. Here's a fun fact. Yeah. That, no, those are all good things. Also, uh, blood freezes at a lower temperature than water. Because of its salinity. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Um, All right. So, okay. So, those are some, you know, quick things. But this is going to start getting bizarre very quickly. So, we, uh, we, you know, we were trying to find some interesting facts about blood. And one thing we found was that there is a man with Vulcan blood. Live long and prosper, man. Exactly. So, apparently, in 2005, at uh, St. Paul's Hospital in Vancouver... Uh, doctors were doing some some work on a patient and he leaned over and his blood came out and it was dark green and so the doctor sort of freaked out and the initial diagnosis was that he had something called methemoglobin which is actually a dangerous condition uh, where the hemoglobin in the blood can't bind to oxygen but uh, after some analysis they found out that the patient had another condition called sulfhemoglobinemia which is a rare condition where hydrogen sulfide combines with ferric ions in blood to form sulfhemoglobin which causes the blood to turn dark green so can i just say that you pronounce those words masterfully yeah that's pretty good for me i'm usually (laughs) really bad with pronouncing big words so i'm pat myself on the back I know, it's, no, I, I'm not joking. That was really good for you, man. Yeah, it's, <laughs> thanks. It's, it's the typo blood uh, flowing right. in me. It's the warrior yep. in me. That's your warrior pronunciation. Yeah. Well, moving on to some more medical stuff about blood. Um, to bring in a little bit of, uh, you know, transhumanism, a little H-plus into the show. We haven't had some of that in a little while. Nanobots 
have now been created that are capable of moving through the bloodstream of the human body. They've been tested on animals already, and they're saying that this could completely revolutionize the whole H-plus movement. You know, the biggest problem with robots that tiny is powering them, and they found a way that you, they can give them little tails, and the kinetic energy in your blood from it just moving around will charge and power these tiny robots that can go around and uh, deliver extra nutrients, hormones, help repair things, basically let you live forever. So look forward to that in the coming years. Yeah, and, and, and just uh, to, to piggyback on that, Discover Magazine uh, recently ran an article. They, they've created basically blood vessel printing machines where the machine literally weaves threads of human tissue into blood vessels. So, I mean, you know, we're, we're pretty much there. We're, we're transhuman already. Oh, brave new world that has such people in it. <laughs> <laughs> and what about those glial cells, man? Yeah, so this, this one, you know, this is an interesting one that's sort of... I think this topic actually almost deserves its own episode to right. some degree because i think it's um, it's a pretty big topic but if you don't know what glial cells are basically they are cells that are in the body glial just means glue so it's sort of the cells that bind stuff and most uh they're most abundantly found in the brain and the spinal cord and interestingly the the cells there are known as astroglia and at first, when I saw this, I'm like, oh, man, they know some kind of occult thing there. But because, you know, astro, which means like space or star, right? Or outer space. And then glia, glue. So it's like outer space glue cells, right? Star like, whoa. Blue. But then, you know, they named it astroglia because the cell is actually just shaped like a star. Which, you know, I mean, of course, it could still have some kind of weird esoteric significance to it. But uh Right. Well, these astroglia, these are the ones that form the blood-brain barrier, correct? Right. That let things in and out of the brain. Right, right, like right. Like drugs so, yeah. or cheeseburgers. <laughs> either, either or. Either or. Or both. Um, or both, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, you know, there's still some speculation and I think um, some some investigation that needs to happen in that, in that topic. But uh, right. I, I we thought we'd include it because it's kind of interesting. Absolutely, and I think we'll hear more about that later. Now, moving on to some more sinister and creepy things relating to blood. Yeah, this list gets kind of creepier as we go along, huh? Yeah, well, let's just, um, we'll start creepy and then we'll bring it back around, man. Yeah, okay. Okay. So, uh, this is about people who drink blood. And there's a lot of different stuff about drinking blood. Obviously, we have vampires and Al Gore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Which yeah, also, you know, it's, I've I, yeah, we I've heard about that that he carries around, and I don't know if this is true or not, but he carries around vials of blood because he has to. Oh yeah. Apparently, you know, it's for it's for his diabetes or whatever. But then, right, he, the, he has uh, what is it? He says it's for some medical condition. Right, I'm not not, sure not diabetes. It was something else. I can't remember. But, right, uh, but I mean, there, there's a large blood drinking um, community within you know the elites and the occultish leaders of our world but uh anyways other than al gore and vampires there's also uh tribes who drink blood there's um some 
some people who are actually addicted to drinking blood. Vampires have been the subjects of books and plays for centuries. Today these scary fictional characters appear in countless movies and hit TV series. But one woman from Pennsylvania has taken her vampire obsession further. 45-year-old mum of three, Julia Caples, has been drinking live human blood for over 30 years. I know for a fact <laughs> um, that there, there are a lot more people out there who drink human blood than you, you could be aware of. Your neighbor could be a blood drinker. I don't agree with it. Julia's daughter, Ariel, struggles with the mum's gruesome practices. You are literally, by definition, a leech and a parasite. Her fascination with blood began as a young girl during her first kiss. I kissed him really hard and I bit him on the lip. <laughs> it was my natural instinct to bite him because for some reason I associated uh, that, that sensuality with blood. Needless to say, he never kissed me again. But Julia was hooked and wanted more. As time went by and meeting fellow vampire fanatics became easier, Julia eventually married her ex-husband Donald in a vampire-themed wedding. We had a special ceremony and it happened to be in a graveyard. When we made our vows, we consecrated our love for each other by sharing blood. But when their 11-year-old son Alexei arrived, the couple decided one of them had to step away from their bloody lifestyle to ensure he had a balanced upbringing. I did, so she didn't have to. But despite their careful parenting, Alexei is starting to notice his mum's strange hobby. It's kind of weird. Starting to think he's a vampire. Hi. Julia's eldest daughter, Ariel, also struggles with her mum's ghoulish practices. I don't agree with it, and you know I don't. If you want to be a vampire, you are literally, by definition, a leech and a parasite. Absolutely, that is correct. And why would you be proud because, of being that? Because the people that I take from want me to do that to them. Doesn't matter if they want it. I find it rather disgusting to begin with. I'm absolutely afraid of losing my mom to her lifestyle. Regardless of the criticism she faces from loved ones and strangers, Julia says she's careful. They have to get blood tests, you know, to make sure they're not carrying, you know, uh, blood-borne diseases or, or, you know, AIDS or HIV or, or any of that. Doctors like hematologist Steve Grunstein advise against drinking the blood of others. There has been a resurgence of cult drinking blood vampirism. I would never encourage somebody to drink human blood. In fact, I would discourage absolutely. But the health risks aren't enough to deter Julia, who drinks blood as regularly as she can. So, um, are you ready to go? Absolutely. Because I am really thirsty. Okay, I'm going to take your shirt off. So what drives Julia to continue her bizarre practice? Is there a secret property to blood that makes vampires age more slowly, like in the movies? My aging process is seems to be outwardly much slower than people who don't drink blood. When I drink, when I feed off a, a, a person and drink their blood, I feel uh, stronger, I feel, I feel um, healthier, um, I feel empowered, I feel more beautiful than any other time. I'm also extremely healthy, I have no health problems, I have an abundance of energy all the time. Thank yeah, it's so, really kind of so creepy, to be honest with you. I get the heebie-jeebies just watching it. You know, it's mm -hmm. just kind of weird. So National Geographic did um, a little special called The Blood Sucker's Ball, when it basically documents these people that essentially like drinking blood. It's a whole community of people that drink blood. 
And I right. mean, it is, it is a very strange uh, group of people that have uh, a lot of interesting makeup and upside down crosses on their foreheads. And I mean, it's just a, it's just a bizarre as thing to be going expected. On. That's to be expected, yeah. Something called the bloodsuckers ball. Now, are these people who are drawing life force from uh, drinking the blood? or I think, you know, it depends. Some people say that it's, you know, they just like the taste. Other people, yeah, they I think they believe <laughs> that. Uh, I like to think if you show up there with and you're just interviewing people, you have like the really intense people who are like, yes, it feeds my soul and I... I absorb the life force of the universe through the the draining and consumption and ingestion of the holy light of blood and then there's just the guys who are like yeah you know it's it's just i like the salty flavor like <laughs> it's pretty good for your skin um you know keeps me regular that sort of thing I like it in my cocktail kind of thing <laughs> yeah it gives a nice it's a nice like dressing for like a light salad. Oh gosh. Okay. We got to stop. <laughs> this is, this is exactly why I got the heebie jeebies watching some of these clips. All right. Cause this is, I mean, it's just wrong. There's just so many things wrong about it. And you know, just a hint, there's biblical precedence, you know, not to consume blood. And I think there's good reason for that. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, but let's, let's move on. I, I, I can't handle this right now, uh, <laughs> but staying in the topic of blood bloodlines, Let's talk about bloodlines just just real quick, because, you know, one, one thing that I think is really kind of interesting to think about is that we believe that the biblical account of how things went down is true. And so all of us come from Noah and his three sons. Right. So if you're talking about bloodlines, I mean, we're, we're all descendants of Noah, which is kind of crazy to think about. But then, you know, you start to. Uh, you you look at the um, the occult or the Illuminati, or you study the New World Order, and you and you discover that th these folks believe that their their bloodlines are extra special. You know that they come from right. some other you know source. And uh, actually, there's a little girl, and I'm sure I'm sure uh, quite a few of you have seen this clip. It's it's fairly old, I think. I mean, it's a couple years old, but basically, this 12 year old girl discovered that 42 U.S. presidents are all related to one British king. History. George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, William Howard Taft, and President Barack Obama. One young girl traced them all back to one common ancestor. They're all cousins and all grandsons of John Lackland. It's the first family tree of its kind, pouring through more than half a million names for months, 12-year-old Bridge Ann D'Avignon discovered that all the U.S. presidents, except Martin Van Buren, are related to the former King of England, John Lackland Plantagenet, signer of the Magna Carta in 1215. Mildred Reed is his first great-grandmother on George Washington, and on Obama, Mildred Reed is the 10th great-grandmother. It started as an assignment to research her own lineage, tracing it back to roots in France. But Bridge Ann wanted to branch out. Well, I think we just all go back somewhere, or it's just a matter of proving it. She started with George Washington, but unlike other professional genealogists that only looked at the male family lines, Bridge Ann was able to link the presidents together using both male and female ancestry. 
Before this, historians had only been able to link 22 family trees. She uh, kind of created a triumph of women's studies here. Bridge Ann also figured out she's an 18th cousin of President Obama, something she hopes to be able to share with him in person. I've written a letter to Obama, but I just gotten standard reply. I hope to meet the president and like explain it to him. In Paso Robles, Adam Rakuten. So that's interesting. It's interesting, but not surprising. Right, right. And there's other reports that I don't know if, you know, I don't know if this is true or not, but uh, there's other reports that people like Bush and Dick Cheney and John Kerry and stuff are related to Vlad the Impaler, you know, Count Dracula. So <laughs> right. there you go. I mean, I, I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised one bit. But you know, it's it's fascinating because you know we we didn't talk about this yet, but just to drop it in, there's a thing called genetic memory. And, um, you know, I don't know if it's an exact science yet. Actually, I don't think it is, but the, the theory is that, you know, there's some sort of genetic memory that is preserved through bloodlines. And so that's why it makes a lot of sense when you think about the Illuminati and how, yeah, you can be a part of the, you know, the secret society club of, you know, you can be part of the Rosicrucians or join the theosophical society or become a Freemason, but you're never going to be the top, top, top elite because that's reserved for the bloodline. And the right. reason is because, you know, or they would state that the reason is because, you know, there's genetic memory of the agenda. You know, the, the ancient hope right. is part right. of the, is in, is in the blood. The, the goal is actually there in the blood. So that makes sense right. that, um, you know, no matter how hard you try to climb that corporate ladder, uh, if you're not part of the, the inside family, bloodline you're right. not going to get the opportunity to be uh you know yeah svali actually talks about the bloodlines of the illuminati as well and for those of you who don't know svali was a woman who was raised in the illuminati and then later defected and sort of did some whistleblowing or some some uh, coming out and telling everyone about what exactly goes on within the organization and within the families of uh, the Illuminati. And it's very terrible. And we actually did an episode on it. So you can find that in the archives. I think it's called Savali and the Inhumanity of the Illuminati. Yep. Something like that. That's right. Yep. And uh, this is a quote from her. I was taught that the Illuminati had its roots in the ancient practices that reach into the beginning of recorded time, that the Babylonians on the plains created ziggurats to their deities whom the Illuminati worship. They were proud of the fact that it was supposedly an unbroken occult line from then until now. The names changed, the basic group was the same. The ancient mystery religions of Egypt, Heart of Dark Magic, were another forerunner with adherents of Set, Osiris, Horus, and Ra, and the Illuminists also believe their bloodlines have come down from the ancient kings of Egypt. Um, so there's a lot to do about bloodlines when it comes to the Illuminati and a lot of that um, occult, uh, esoteric teaching. Yeah, definitely. And this is where uh, some of the, the things that I've been reading for the film come into play a little bit. There's a, a book called The Grand Symbol of the Mysteries, and just a real quick quote from that. Uh, it says, blood is the first incarnation of the universal fluid. It is the materialized vital light. So they believe that, you know, blood has this spiritual significance. And 
you know, blood is a, a pretty important thing in the occult, obviously. And, you know, the topic of alchemy, which I'm really tackling pretty uh, hard over here, has some interesting things about blood as well. And, um, you know, some teachings talk about how uh, in alchemy it takes blood of a magus or a magus, magus, magus. Yeah, it's magus, magus. magus. Like magic, the wizard, yeah, wizard, the wizard type guy, yes, to create the transmutation or the philosopher's stone, right? It takes human blood. Another guy, Paracelsus, who's known to be, you know, a pretty big, big author in alchemical works, uh, he talked about blood too. And in a book that was published in 1894 called The Hermetic and Alchemical Writings of Paracelsus, he actually talks about creating an elixir. Uh, of water that preserves blood for decades. And, um, well, an interesting thing about that and a connection that in, may or may not exist, but, uh, within the Catholic church in Naples, Naples, Italy, there is a relic of a saint called St. Januarius. And they have a vial of St. Januarius's blood as a relic there in one of the cathedrals. Now, the interesting thing about that blood is that it's completely coagulated, as blood should be um, when it's that old. But as the story goes, that every year on a certain date, that blood turns to liquid again. And when the blood turns to liquid, it's a sign that it's going to be another good year or a lucky year or something. And if you go to Naples and, uh, and talk to somebody, everybody knows about it and it's sort of like a whole um, community thing on that day when they, uh, you know, go and check and see if the blood has liquefied and if it hasn't. Now, if you go and ask a local today in 2013 and ask them, you know, how that's gone the past couple of years, they'll tell you that the blood has not turned to liquid for the past two years. And then they will also tell you that the past two years have been wrought with earthquakes and certain other disasters um so you know it's an interesting connection between you know knowing the sort of occult connection between the catholic church and the new world order and uh the leaders and practitioners of these occult magics or alchemy that we are talking about um so that's just an interesting thing i will say you know, i was born in january so, you oh. know, hopefully my blood doesn't stick around after... Uh, St. Januarius. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, anyway, getting back to... Um, that's an interesting fact. Um, getting back to Paracelsus and, and his writings, uh, in the same book that uh, I had just mentioned, um, he describes something called the homunculi, uh, which I'm going to address in the film pretty heavily because I think there's some prophetic precedence and it definitely has a lot to do with transhumanism. And the way Paracelsus describes how to, to start making the homunculi is by mixing the uh, male seed and human blood. And um, yeah. It's so what exactly is the homunculi? The homunculi basically is a living being, a, a humanoid living being that does not have a physical mother or father. So, I mean, you know, we talk about transhumanism. We talk about the singularity and artificial intelligence. And it's basically an artificially intelligent creature that the alchemists sought to create 
in the laboratories, you know, from... So it's like a Frankenstein? Is it made from human body parts? Yeah, or? you know, actually, you know, interestingly enough, the, the Frankenstein story seems to have been influenced by uh, some of these alchemical ideas. And um, there's a researcher named, um, I think his name is Dr. Joseph P. Farrell. And uh, he, he's not a Christian or a believer. Actually, in fact, he, uh, I think he wrote a book called like Yahweh, the two-faced God. And he like goes after, he pretty much bashes all uh, the Abrahamic faiths and stuff. So he's, right. you know, but he's a, he's a well-established scholar. But anyway, in his book that he recently released called uh, The Grimoires of Transhumanism, or I think it's called Transhumanism, The Grimoires of Alchemical something. I can't remember. I don't have it in front of me. But uh, hey. him and his co-author, Dr. Scott D. DeHart explore the actual author of Frankenstein and how there seem to Mary be. Shelley. Well, that's the thing. Uh, they are they put forth the the possibility that it wasn't Mary Shelley. It was actually um, her husband who was part of ah. um, who seemed to be part of um, some occult circles and secret societies and whatnot. Who right. actually wrote the basic idea and gave you know Mary Shelley the the title, if you will, of the, the authorship. Um, but the ideas and stuff came from, from her husband. So, you know, I, Interesting. I, yeah. So, I mean, it's all speculation at this point, but, uh, you know, again, you know, everywhere we look, everywhere we turn, it's the stuff is there. And, uh, you know, even in some of the, the stories of fantasy, you know, that, that we think of just science fiction is, uh, you know, it's, it's rooted in a lot of science. Um, well, not science fact necessarily, but, uh, spiritual, uh, what's the, the, the phrase I'm looking for? Uh, perversion, perversion or <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's definitely what's going on, but more of a, in, in line with the occult, the ancient hope, the, the goal of attaining godhood or immortality right. or reversing right. the effects of the fall. It's all part of the occult agenda. And mm-hmm. so, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting thing that you mentioned, um, that Frankenstein, I'll just make this real quick, but I actually recently read, the original Frankenstein and yeah, reading it, it actually talks about how Dr. Frankenstein uses these sort of pseudo scientific metaphysical methods that he learns, you know, from some professor in college. Right. And it's not necessarily in a laboratory with, you know, using lightning and things like that. Well, it does use lightning, but you know, it's, it's less scientific than, what we know it from the movies. Right, the right, right, versions. right. It's sort of a, a combination of um, uh, sacred. It's almost, it's sacred science, basically. Uh, it's, right, it's a sacred right. knowledge. It's not the laboratory objective scientific method style science. Right, exactly. But um, yeah, so, uh, you know, a couple more so, things on, uh, uh, did you want to say something? No. <laughs> okay. I was, I was just going to segue there, but if you got more occult stuff, then... Oh, well, a couple more occult things, just to, just to throw in. More more occult blood stuff. Um, yes. Just because I've been, you know, I've been reading so much of this stuff, I just want to get it off my chest. Um, there's a book called The Secret Tradition in Goetia, including the rites and mysteries of Goetic theurgy, sorcery, and infernal necromancy. It was published in 1913 by a guy named Arthur Edward Waite. And he has a chapter called Grand Conjuration of Spirits with Whom It Is Sought to Make a Pact. 
And yeah, and I was reading this and I I was like, oh my gosh, I have to stop reading it. But I'm just going to, I'm not going to read the actual stuff that's laid out, but I will describe to you, um, you know, just the basic element, which is that, uh, you know, how to make a pact with Lucifer. (laughs) It's called the, (laughs) it's called the Lucifage Rofocal. I don't know how to pronounce this thing. This is Lucifuge Rofocal. There you go. Great. I don't know. Great. That's wonderful. (laughs) Uh, That's perfect. Um, So basically the the idea here is that you have to take a virgin parchment paper and you have to use your own hand and your own blood and you have to write these specific things in your own blood that binds your allegiance to Lucifer. And, you know, again, I'm not going to read that stuff because it's, you know, it's terrible, but, you know, it's, it's basically saying like, you know, I will owe, you know, my allegiance to Lucifer, you know, 20 years from now I will, you know, it's, it's just really weird creepy stuff and it's like why would anyone write this unless they are being influenced by satan himself you know so um yeah and so i mean this stuff is out there and the creepy thing is that whether it's true or not these people definitely believe that it was true and they definitely i think were led um by a counterfeit spiritual force you know and and i think satan and his fallen ones were you know hard at work they have been hard at work and in deceiving a lot of people into believing that they're going to get what they want in life uh, by making a pact with Lucifer. And, um, right. you know, and to know that large amount of the elites of our world and our countries are aware of these sort of things, not saying that they've taken advantage of them, although it does beg the question. Right. Right. Yeah. We, we did not talk about it in this, uh, in this episode, but just to hint at it, you know, we, we were Basil and I were contemplating talking about, you know, the whole Jack Parsons and L. Ron Hubbard mystery, mm-hmm. the Babylon working, you know, where they yeah the homunculus during um, connected with the Manhattan Project, and so yeah, where there's some strange some strange goings on, strange, and maybe we'll talk stuff. about that another time. But if you're interested in that, it's called the Babylon working, and it's uh, uh, yeah. World War Two or something. Google it. <laughs> Google it. Go find it. <laughs> Google it. All right. So All right. let's let's start uh, ascending now because that I think that was the the darkest point of our episode. Yeah, <laughs> I think pledging your allegiance to Lucifer in your own blood could be the pinnacle <laughs> of scariness that we can reach. So let's just transfer a little bit over to blood in the Bible. Yeah, let's do that. And you know something. Uh, Somebody that that has actually done a little bit of work or research, I guess, into blood in the Bible uh, was Derek Gilbert of A View from the Bunker. Welcome to a special presentation of A View from the Bunker. I had heard him mention it before. So I emailed him and I said, Hey, Derek, um, I know you'd mentioned, you know, that you'd done some research on blood. And so, uh, could you write a, a couple sentences or a paragraph for us to give us a little insight on what you thought, you know, uh, about the research and, uh, Basil, do you want to read it or do you want me to, to read this? Uh, you got this bro. <laughs> Cause it's like 15 <laughs> paragraphs long. <laughs> No, well, yeah, whatever. You got it. <laughs> All right. So here's what Derek said in um, in response. He said, "Okay, here's what struck me when I did the word search, which led me to a low level study 
uh, I'm not a scholar by any means, and neither are we really, uh, for blood in the Bible. The Bible says a lot more about blood than I thought. Prohibitions against shedding or consuming it, when and how it should be shed, and so on. But the repeated warnings against eating meat with the blood, coupled with the warning that a reckoning would be required of any man or animal that shed human blood, led me to believe that there is something of supernatural importance about it. It's not just for oxygenating tissue. So what could it be? Why the repeated phrase, the blood is the life, or the life is in the blood? Why can sin only be redeemed by shedding blood? When you think about it, this was true all the way back in the garden. God provided skins to Adam and Eve when they were banished from Eden. Where did the skins come from? And, and we'll touch on that a, a little bit later here, but um, he goes on. This special property, whatever it is, probably is the reason so many pagan religions engaged in human sacrifice. The life, whatever that really means, is present even in animal blood. But the special prohibition against shedding human blood suggests that the fallen derive some unique pleasure or draw power from spilling it. That's it in a nutshell. It's a superficial examination on the topic, but the Bible doesn't tell us specifically what it's all about. Fascinating speculation, though. And we thank Derek for uh, giving us that little insight. And you can visit his website at vftb.net and obviously pidradio.com where uh, Derek and Sharon do their thing. And so um, that's, I thought was a great little introduction as we go into uh, some of the stuff about blood in the Bible. Right. Yeah. And I think he raises some good points, some points that you could almost say that we all really feel and kind of got the, the gist of while reading the Bible, but never, maybe never really thought about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's, there's so much, I mean, obviously the blood of Christ and everything, blood of the lamb, there's so much, I mean, the big joke about Christianity is that they're the weird people who bathe in lamb's blood, you know? Right. Um, or we drink blood, right? The whole uh, last supper thing. Oh, you guys are blood drinkers, you know? Oh, right, right. The communion, things like that. Yeah. So there's, Blood is obviously a large part of Christianity. And and just some examples in scripture, uh, like Leviticus 17.11. Leviticus 17 really was the, the place where we get, you know, the phrase, uh, blood is the source of life. And, you know, it's, it's actually fascinating because up until about 120 years ago, uh, people that were sick were bled, you know, <laughs> it's like a way to try to get rid of their disease. And actually, um, I think George Washington died because of that. You know, they were, you yeah, know, they were trying what to a fix. Way. What a way to go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So today we know that, you know, healthy blood is necessary to bring life-giving nutrients to the cell, which we sort of touched on earlier, which is kind of interesting because, you know, we, we know this now, but again, up until 120 years ago, they were draining the blood. And obviously God declared you know, a couple thousand or a few thousand years ago that the life is in the blood, you know, he said this way before science ever knew about it, you know? Right. But, uh, yeah, if we, if we start just combing through the Bible, blood's in there a lot. It's, I think there's over 500 too, times. Too many to actually, yeah, too many to go through all of them. The first but, uh, time, number one, no, we're not going to go through that, but, <laughs> um, but Derek mentioned this idea of, um, the coats of skin, right. And that, you know, where did that come from? And Genesis three twenty one talks about, how Adam and Eve, um, after they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves, you know, God said, no, you know, that's not going to work. Let me give you coats of skin. And so a lot of commentators have mentioned that this was the first blood sacrifice because in order to get coats of skin, you know, you have to kill an animal. So 
you know, and I believe that. I think that's that's definitely what was going on. And so, you know, some of the commentary is that it costs the shedding of innocent blood to cover up sin. And right. this was obviously the beginning of a pattern that God set that continued until Jesus and and still going on now. So, um, right. exactly. Yeah, another interesting one is Genesis 4.10, where it says, and the Lord said, what, this is when uh, Cain killed Abel. And the Lord comes to him and he says, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth and received your brother's blood from your hand. Now, this has some pretty interesting speculation behind it. It's just starting with murder and unjust bloodshed and the blood crying out from the ground and uh, the, the ground being cursed where the innocent blood was shed. Now, if you look at this in the context of ghosts or, par- or hauntings or you know something like that, now I know this is still a gray area in of some sort of strong theology, but... You know, hauntings and things like that usually happen at places where there's been some heinous bloodshed. Right. You know, so is there, you know, and using this verse in the Bible as a reference or the story in the Bible as a reference, is there some sort of connection between unjust bloodshed or heinous murder or something like that? where the blood cries out from the ground or the ground is then cursed or the place is then cursed or uh, does it open up, you know, portals, you know, quote unquote portals for demon activity or what is, what exactly, you know, is going on there because something's going on there. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's definitely an area of speculation, but uh, yeah, it just seems like, you know, you, you watch those paranormal shows and stuff and it's always, always has something to do with, you know, people getting murdered or just terrible things happening to people. And, you know, a lot of times the, the shows, what they promote is like, Oh, you know, they're just, you know, their souls are just not at rest and you have to help them get to the other side. And, you know, there's that whole sort of worldview there, but you know, based on what we know here, I mean, it's very unclear because obviously it says Abel's blood cried out from the ground, you know, Right. So when if we yeah and and there's you can look at that in like a you know sort of meta, metaphorical way which is kind of the way that you do but at the same time you know maybe it's not so metaphorical maybe something going on there is a little bit more than just poetry right right and and perhaps you know there's different ways you can take this but one is that and one that I'm sort of leaning towards although sometimes you know it's 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 hard to pin it down is that when unjust blood is spilt, it, it, like you mentioned, it kind of opens up portals, but not only that, but it allows these demons to sort of um, not just manifest, but sort of take on the image or imagery of that person. And so right. they're able to, you know, mimic their voice or, or do whatever to try to deceive right. their, their, you know, relatives and, and whatnot. Right. And you can even bring it one step further where maybe the blood is spilt And then the DNA in that blood can be used as a way of, you know, a demon might come or, you know, unclean spirit or something, whatever it may be, comes in, sees the, you know, interacts with the blood, interacts with the DNA in the blood and is able to replicate, you know, some sort of spiritual form of that person or something like that. Who knows? Uh, You know, it's pure speculation, but it's an interesting way to think about it. Yeah. And in, and I guess, you know, again, each one of these things, this can be a whole topic uh, uh, on its own, you know, a whole episode. Right. 
on its own, but we, we just want to touch on it here. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, the main point with the Cain and Abel story is obviously that, that Cain's offering was not good enough for God, right? And, and Abel's was, and that's what caused Cain to be jealous. And, right. and interestingly enough, Hebrews 11.4 talks about how Abel's offering to God was a more excellent sacrifice Right. So, and so, it, cause it was a sacrifice of blood. Exactly. Of, yeah. So yeah, that's, right. that's interesting there. So there's a whole Re- lot referring of referring to him being referring to him, um, working livestock and things and his sacrifice, uh, was of livestock and Cain's was of fruits and veggies and, um, not, nece- not necessarily referring to his, uh, demise. Right. Or right, is that right, what right. you're referring no, to? No, 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 no. I'm talking about the actual sacrifice, what led right. to Cain's jealousy. Right, exactly. Uh, which, I mean, there's a part of me that feels like, wait a minute, though, but, Cain, you know, <laughs> not to, like, defend Cain or anything, but I'm like, you know, I mean, Cain was, was the tiller of the ground, right? Yeah, so, he did what he could, man. Yeah, it's a hard, it's a hard life game, Cain. <laughs> that's kind of what I'm saying. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's a, but maybe there was something that Cain could have done better, you know? I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? But, you know, I guess the, the important point here is that there is no redemption without blood. You know, no matter how hard we try with our own merits and our own, uh, with our own thing, there's just no way to have redemption with God without, without the, the blood of an innocent being shed. Um, and that's sort of highlights the importance of Jesus. And, um, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. But uh, before we move on, I want to um, play for you a section of the Doug Hamp interview that we completely omitted without your knowledge in Boom. the last episode because Doug withholding information <laughs> yeah, because Doug went into this whole thing about blood and knowing we were going to do an episode on blood. We, we just decided to omit it from the Doug Hamp episode and, and have it for you here. And he addresses a lot of things about the old Testament and you know, why blood had to be shed uh, because I think he has some interesting um, thoughts about that. So let's uh, go ahead and play that and we'll talk on the other side. I wanted to say something about uh, the blood, yeah. Because we, we've talked that we've talked about God instituting the korban, the sacrifice, and the kippur or the kapara, which we often translate as atonement, right? So it was God's idea to have a substitute, an animal, that would allow mankind still to be near God and to provide man with some kind of a force field covering, a shield. Okay. All right. That's all a very good thing. All right. Though God later says, he's like, I, I don't desire that, right? So God's not, like, all excited about these blood sacrifices. You know, he's not up there like, ooh, wow, another blood sacrifice. Yay. <laughs> I'm, I'm so excited, you know? I, I think right. God's kind of like, you know, yeah, it's good because I want to be with my kids, but it's still a bummer. This is not what I wanted. Obedience is better than sacrifice, okay? Right. So, so then, but then, you know, then the veil goes up. The veil comes up, and mankind begins to forget about who's on the other side of the veil, and Satan and the demons start to pose as the gods, mm. and they say, you know what, um, you, you know, really, these sacrifices are not about a covering or atonement or, you know, getting right with God. No, no, the gods are hungry, right? You've got to feed the gods, you have to feed right, the gods. Right, right, right. Okay. And this is still happening in, 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 in places today, like in India. You can go and you'll have a, a feeding of the god 
ritual. This has been going on for thousands and thousands of years. All right. Now, how do you feed a god? Well, you know, you can, you know, give him some cake and whatever, and, and you know, <laughs> leave him a pre- cookie and a cup of milk. Right. You if know, I was I mean, a god, that's what right. I want. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, there's sort of that sort of a, a hoax type thing, but I think Satan really does desire blood. And, you know, we see this. We see this. Uh, Leviticus says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes the atonement for the soul. Therefore I said to the children of Israel, No one among you shall eat blood, nor shall any stranger who dwells among you. Um, you're, you're to pour it out. And then he goes on and he talks about how the other nations do that, and they are not supposed to do that, right? Because they're sacrificing to demons. So, demons seem to get pretty excited about blood. Well, here's the thing. When Adam, before Adam sinned, he could have eaten just for the pure pleasure of eating, right? He didn't have to eat to sustain his body. But when he, when he fell, then eating of products from the Adama, from the earth, the soil, the dirt, became absolutely necessary to keep him going. Because once he, once he disconnected himself, he pulled the plug, he started running on batteries. And he had to recharge his batteries with things that came from the Adama, from the earth. Well, what about Satan? He also pulled the plug when he rebelled against God. God said, I will cause the fire to come out from within you. That's Ezekiel 28. And so now he's left... Uh, ravenous. He's left as a roaring, li- roaring, roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Devour, right? right. You know, he's hungry. He's hungry. Okay, I, I don't take that allegorically. He wants to eat you, and <laughs> yeah. he, and and so what? What can he eat? He can't eat things from the from the earth. You know, he doesn't care about bread. He cares about the life force. The life is in the blood, right? right. So the life is in the blood. So now he can he convinces humanity, hey, you know what? Uh, we gods, you know, we're kind of hungry. So if you give us a blood sacrifice, that will appease us. Okay, sure, we'll take lambs, we'll take we'll take pigs, we'll take goats, we'll take cows. But you know, we really like people. When you're when you're really in a, in a big fix, you need to give us a human sacrifice, right? And you know that's what the that's what the king of Moab did when he was being attacked by the Israelites. He sacrificed his own son, right? And, of course, we know that the Mayans did that to the order of 50,000 to 70,000 people. Uh, you know, they, they understood it pretty well. Uh, even, you know, the Israelites, the, the Judeans were doing that. King Solomon was sacrificing children to Molech. And, and, you know, God is like, I never, ever demanded that of you. I never wanted that. It never came into my mind. It makes me sick. You know, it's all over the book of uh, Ezekiel. Right. So it's kind of the, the counterfeit. It's the, it's the perfect counterfeit because yeah. instead of, um, you know, the, the, the proper way of shedding blood being something that allows for the relationship with God, now it's flipped around, almost like vampires, right? Uh, exactly. Jesus yeah. shed the blood for our sins, so mm-hmm. we are free but on the flip side, with vampires, they consume blood for eternal yes. life, right? So yes, yes, it's interesting. Exactly. No, I think I think vampires are. I guess they're the modern day 
uh, manifestation of that. And, you know, I don't know how far the whole vampire thing goes back, but I, I think the, the seeds of that go way back yeah. to the very beginning. And it's it's the same same uh, same need that they're they're taken care of is that yes in order to keep on going they need the life of another to be poured out on their behalf so how does Satan receive all this you might say well I don't see that many blood sacrifices happening you right. know he must be pretty darn hungry uh, no I think he's I think he's pretty well full and it. it you know, I would argue that it's any kind of life that is poured out in his honor. Yeah. Right? So, you know, certainly that includes blood sacrifice like the Mayans. But what about uh, war? Okay? You know, oh, yeah. God, God doesn't like war. So war is just needless killing. Mm -hmm. Certainly um, murders, you know, but, you know, that isn't too much. So war is great. Murders are great. Uh, abortion. Ooh. Yeah. Right? The hot topic. <laughs> yes, because right. the more the, the the more innocent the life, the tastier it is, you right. see. Yep. So what could be tastier than killing a child inside the mother's womb? Oh, that's just the ultimate. Okay. Right. So what was happening where where women were having these sexual rights back in the day and then they would take these unwanted children and offer them up to Molech. Now it's just happening inside the womb, right? Because right? there's still unwanted children, and it's inside the womb that you kill this thing. Oh man, Satan is loving it. This is just it's 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 you know it's like an all you can eat kind of thing, you know? <laughs> oh yeah, I mean I, I hate to laugh about it, but it's true. And you know, it's um it, it's another thing that's interesting about that is you know every time there's a a, a haunting. You know, right? There's a lot of haunted places in America. And you mm. watch those shows with ghost hunters, and you have, um, you know, all sorts of various psychics and stuff coming in. And every time there's some kind of paranormal activity, it always happens where blood was spilt, right? And a mm. lot of times, it's it was done with injustice. It was it was never like, oh, she fell down the stairs. It's always like, oh, this guy came in, and you know, the husband was bitter, and he murdered the wife and children. I mean, it's just horrible, horrible things. And that's where the paranormal thing happens. And you know, mm. I think trying to figure out, you know, exactly what's going on is, uh, it's kind of challenging. I think perhaps, you know, it allows for demons to come in and, and, you know, take the space, if you will, maybe, uh, uh, have the ability to, uh, you know, pose as the, the deceased or things like that. But I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's not scriptural per se, but I mean, you know, based on the sort of evidence that we see from these researchers and investigators, uh, it's interesting because, uh, for example, like Connecticut, um, you know, where the Civil War was fought, you know, there's mm. all sorts of paranormal stuff there. And mm. it's like, it's always where lots of people died, you know, and, right. and blood was spilt. Um, so, yeah, well, I definitely and, agree. And, and consider this, you know, when Cain killed his brother Abel, yeah. God said, you know, hey, where is your brother? You know, my, my brother's keeper. He says, your brother's blood cries out from the earth right now. Okay. So there's something about that blood I mean, I don't know, I don't think blood can actually talk, but I think, you know, whatever frequency the blood has or vibration or whatever it may be, there's something about that, that this blood was giving off this signal, if you will, and saying, hello, <laughs> you know, yeah. this wasn't supposed to happen. And then there's right. a really interesting verse in Isaiah 26, verse 21. It says, for behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. 
the earth will also disclose her blood and will no more cover her slain. All right? So now, and then think about Revelation, where it says that all the oceans, all the waters turn to blood. And then you have, then you have the, um, you've got the angel of the waters, and he says, you're righteous, O Lord. You're righteous to do this. Uh, it's really amazing. And, and verses uh, 16, verse 5, Revelation 16, 5, And I heard the angel of the waters saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and was and is, who is to come, because you have judged these things, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, yeah. for it is their just due. Right. <laughs> Isn't that cool? You're like, yeah. oh my goodness. So what I'm thinking is all the blood that has ever been spilled on the planet in Satan's honor, one way or another, now comes back. Right? It's just been kind of been sitting underneath the surface, and now it comes back. And so now the water that is needed to sustain life now turns to blood. You guys want blood? Here you go. Here's your blood. All right? Uh, you know, you demons want your blood for your power. Here you go. Now the world is just going to become an absolute cesspool. Life becomes impossible because it's all blood. And, you know, this angel says, you're righteous, O Lord. Hmm. Wow. My goodness. It's good that stuff. Sounds scary. <laughs> it, it really is. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just, but, you know, I mean, the way I've just kind of bumped into these things is I'm like, okay, how do I take this literally? So I've been trying to look at the scriptures from a, a very literal point of view. Right. And the times when I don't get it, I'm like, okay, Lord, help me. And then I discover some other clue in scripture. I'm like, oh my goodness, here's the answer. You know, right. so it really is amazing how we have to know the beginning. We've got to take those first 11 chapters very literally, and then the, the end stuff starts to make a whole lot of sense. And I think that's one reason Satan has attacked Genesis 1 through 11 so uh, incredibly over right. the centuries is to dumb us down on those. So that was Doug on blood. Yeah, a lot of stuff there. My goodness. Um, a lot of good points, though. Yeah, and definitely stuff that we would have touched on, but we just went ahead and let Doug do it because um, he's the scholar, and we're just a couple of, uh, you know. Guys. A couple of guys trying to trying to sound smart. <laughs> <laughs> Not trying hard enough, apparently. Apparently. Oh. <laughs> Okay, what? here here's an interesting interesting thing here. Jesus apparently uh, sweats blood, and this is oh, found yeah. in uh, this is found in Luke twenty two forty four, where it says, "And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground." And so, you know, we we actually looked this up a little bit because we were thinking, wait a minute. The word "like" there makes it sound right. like the sweat was just like blood. It wasn't. It wasn't actual blood. Right. And uh, interestingly, there's um, some different perspectives that we found on this. And there's um, one commentary, Clark's commentary on the Bible, that actually says that no, it's actually talking about real drops of blood. And the the support he gives in his assessment of this passage is based on. Uh, an actual phenomenon that people actually do sweat blood, and it's um, it's a phenomenon called hema 
Hema, hematidrosis. There you go. Yeah. 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 I believe that's where, uh, aren't there some popping of capillaries on the surface of the skin or something? Uh, when you're under extreme stress, something like that. Right. Which would make sense because, you know, Jesus here was praying in the uh, garden of Gethsemane and it was, uh, right before he went to the cross. So, right. um, I'm sure that, uh, he was under tremendous stress. Uh, right. And the verse there itself talks about how he prays, you know, he's praying more fervently and more fervently. And this is at the same time where he's just, uh, you know, requesting, he makes a request to God that please, if there's any other way. Right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So interestingly, yeah, the other argument here is that no, the, the word like signifies that it was just the fact that the sweat drops were like blood drops. Um, right. Which I guess, you know, I guess it holds some water as well because, uh, you know, the word like there. But uh, yeah. And I feel like that's a translation thing because when in English, when you say something is like something, you know, it's, it's like it, but it's not exactly like it. And so when I'm trying to think of what properties my sweat could have to make it like blood in the English sense, you know, it, some pretty strange things need to be happening. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's true. There's not a lot of ways I could imagine that, but, but what, what do they say? So the, the Greek word for like there is the word Jose and, okay. or Hosi. I don't know exactly how to, the phonetic spelling is telling me Hosi. Um, take some Greek. Yeah, I know. Yeah, we got to do that. Uh, the short definition is as if, as it were like about, those are the, the short definitions. The other, uh, position on this is that, um, according to my little accordance Bible software, it says that these verses are omitted by some of the best manuscripts, which would normally be ample reason for thinking that they were in addition to the text, but their language is Lucan, or Lucan, L-U-C-A-N, Lucan, and they may well be genuine. Jesus's sweat was like blood in the size of drops rather than in color. So that's, that's the other argument. So I don't know. Ah, interesting. The size of his sweat droplets were the same size as blood droplets. But isn't that, that's so strange to say because it's it is so very ambiguous, strange. right? It's a strange like comparison to make because I feel like blood and sweat could both be of varying sizes exactly. in drop form. Yeah. Huh. So I, I guess right. we can maybe, uh, maybe ask Doug who might know some more about the Greek than we do. I'm uh, sure somebody out there knows more than we do. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I've actually heard people say, you know, or ask the question, did Jesus actually cry blood on the cross? And, um, the answer is no, he did not cry blood. Uh, you don't read that anywhere in the Who gospel. Who asks that? I, you know, I have that? heard somebody ask that before because I, I think they get huh. that from the, you know, the sort of, um, is that a Catholic thing or maybe, something? Maybe. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking from the uh the tears of a statue of mary you know crying the tears of blood that kind of thing huh so okay. yeah so i mean i've i've heard that before but you know just well, to I, I believe that's also a medical condition that can happen is it not it actually is yeah there is an actual medical condition called <laughs> you got it man 
You got it. Hemolacria. Hemolacria. There you go. which is an unusual medical condition that causes the person suffering from it to produce tears of blood. Unusual so. medical condition. Okay, well, it's possible. There you go. Yeah, well. Okay, so where are we now? All right, well, let's let's tr- start wrapping it up here because there's, um, I think we've touched on a lot of things here. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, again, the blood of Jesus. You know, there are some teachings that say that it was the death of Jesus that saves us, not not the blood, but... Really, that's only a half truth. It really, it really is the blood, and there's so many scriptures that prove that. You know, uh, just a couple here. Ephesians two thirteen. It says, "But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, not the death of Christ, the blood." Uh, Colossians one twenty says, "And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood on his cross." So. Again, God had to take on flesh and blood in order to complete the redemption process. It wasn't possible any other way. At the beginning of the show, I made a reference to the salinity of blood. And, you know, if you go back and connect that, if we want to connect that biblically, Matthew 5.13 says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, human blood uh, contains about you know, 0.9% salt or sodium chloride. And so, you know, if you kind of compare that um, and make that connection, but, you know, you could say however metaphorically you'd like that maybe we are the blood of the earth as well. And uh, salt uh, has a property that maintains the electrolyte balance inside and outside of cells. And so, you know, if you want to uh, compare that as well to our presence here on earth and in the world and not of the world, you know, we carry electrolytes and balance them inside <laughs> <laughs> but you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> no i think you're on to something all right i'm i'm breaching but it just it feels good well i mean you know maybe jesus knew that there's 0.9 percent right. salt in the blood and that you know oh, it I'm maintains sure. electrolyte balance and you know when he said it he was speaking not just to that generation that was preserving meat with salt right to prevent right. decay, and that was sort of the analogy at the time, but also, you know, with modern scientific inquiry, we can extend the understanding of what he might have meant, so. Modern scientific inquiry. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's wrap it up, and let's wrap it up with the book of Revelation. Okay. Because, you a, know. That's a good place to end there's it. There's a lot of, lot of blood in Revelation. <laughs> a lot of blood. It's like, we're, we're trying All to wrap right. it up, and then we, uh. Blood in yeah. Revelation. Oh, there's tons of blood. Oh my goodness. And Doug touched on it a little bit, but uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, again, really it just comes down to the blood of Jesus, you know? <laughs> um, but here's one thing I, I do want to just drop in and it pertains somewhat to age of deceit too. And what I'm kind of working on with alchemy and stuff and the image of the beast uh, in revelation 17, six, it talks about the mystery Babylon, you know, the, the, the woman, uh, who rides the beast. And, and it says, and I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. 
And then uh, again in Revelation 18:24, and in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all who have been slain on earth. And uh, you know, a lot of the normal commentary on this is that the the blood of all the historical martyrs and saints are, you know, fulfilled in Mystery Babylon, which I think is true. But, you know, just again to speculate a little bit, uh this is during the tribulation period that all this is happening and we know that you know, a lot of, uh, there's some prophetic texts that talk about, you know, there's going to be a lot of killing going on and a lot of killing of Christians going on right. during the tribulation period. And this is going to be a massive uh, blood sacrifice um, that's going to happen. And perhaps there's something there where the, the blood of the innocents shed there is going to, you know, help establish or create the image of the beast and right well if you think about it the christians in that time that are talked about um you know being killed and and such they are the saints because we are all the saints and at that time when they are killed um during that part of the tribulation uh or uh, whatever part of the end times that is um they will also be martyrs at that point right exactly yeah so, um, but you know, to end it on a good note here, um, <laughs> Revelation nineteen two, for his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality, and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. So you know, really, God does restore everything, even the blood. And um, and then the last time the word blood is used in the Bible is Revelation nineteen thirteen, where it says. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. That's referring, of course, back to the blood of Jesus, and there we go. I think that's a good place to end it right there. So we hope you enjoyed this episode on blood. This bloody episode. Bloody episode for our uh, British listeners, I suppose we could say that. Um, (laughs) So... Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of Canary Cry Radio, the blood episode. We appreciate you guys hanging in there while we try our best to get out more frequent episodes. As we said at the beginning, uh, Gons and I are both having a little bit of trouble getting uh, getting our lives together here. But the wheels uh, are falling off. But the wheels are falling off the wagon. But uh, if you guys are interested, make sure to go to canarycryradio.com and check out the show notes for this particular show. Get all the links and cool stuff there. And uh, if you've prayed about it and you enjoy what you hear on this show and all our other shows, uh, please consider visiting the support tab on canarycryradio.com and becoming a a monthly sponsor or even making a one-time donation it would really help us out and uh, please keep listening and sending us those emails and until next time remember to think outside the cage Thank you for listening to this episode of Canary Cry Radio. The show notes for this episode and many others are available at canarycryradio.com Make sure to connect and like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash canarycryradio. Follow us on Twitter at canarycryradio. 
If you would like to share the show in video format, you can find us on YouTube by searching Canary Cry Radio. Review us on iTunes with five stars and give us a thumbs up on StumbleUpon.com. We would like to thank those of you who have given us your support, prayers, and donations. If you would like to join us and support Canary Cry Radio financially, you could do so by visiting CanaryCryRadio.com and clicking the support tab. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, remember to think outside the cage.